Good to be with you this morning. We are, we have come to the end of our series today on the Lord's Prayer. We're wrapping things up, um, getting geared up for a new sermon series next Sunday uh, on the, the life of King Solomon as we, we kick off the, the new school year together. But uh, if you've been following with us for the last few months, um, my guess is you are probably expecting that we would end our series like this. Look at this here on the screens. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, right? That's all that's left. But as you read Matthew's gospel, uh, you'll find those words aren't there. In fact, in every biblical manuscript prior to the 6th century, that phrase is missing entirely. Somewhere in early church history, um, that phrase was added. It's a bit of a mystery, and I could get nerdy on you, but I won't. But ever since that time, whenever that was, we've been praying that prayer as God's people. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, every one of those words as you look up on the screens are certainly biblical. They align with the whole of Scripture, and yet they are not in and of themselves Scripture. So instead this morning, we're going to pass by that phrase. We're going to do a quick flyby, and I plan something even greater. And today, we're going to focus on just one word together. It's a simple Labor Day kind of sermon. You know it well. You know this word. You pray it all the time. In fact, this word is so rich. It's found over 150 times in God's word. And the word that I'm speaking of, of course, is what? Amen. Amen. And all God's people said, amen. You ever thought, like, why is it that we conclude our prayers with that word? Why is that? Um, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. And we're going to look at those four letters together. As I said, I could have chosen all kinds of passages today, but we're going to make this our lesson. And as I read this aloud, I, I want you to consider what are you praying when you pray that word to God? What do we mean when we say amen? We're going to read uh, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. Let's look at this together. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. See, whether, whether you're a believer or not, somewhere along the way, worldwide, it's well known that the, this prayer of a Christian ends with amen, right? That word is so ingrained in us that to, to skip over it is, is like trying to finish a sentence without punctuation. It's the anchor of our prayer life. It holds everything in place. We say it as if to say something like, the end. It's what tells those around us, you can open your eyes now, we're finished. Just consider the importance of that word. You know, for some of us, that's been the last word we've spoken every single day of our lives. We crawl into bed, we turn the light off, we say our prayers, and the last words on your lips, so help us God, is amen. You know, in church land, we hear it all the time. My favorite, particularly this happens at Legacy, is when somebody shouts out an agreement with the preacher, right? You get a good solid, amen, we're with you. If you hear it over and over again at Legacy, it means it's time to wrap things up, Ryan, you went too far. No, but I... What does amen mean to you? What does it mean? Why do you pray it? See, and I ask that because I think the word amen has become so familiar to us, we've forgotten what it means. We've turned it almost into like this period at the end of our paragraph. And yet that word is arguably one of the most powerful 
worshipful, intimate words in all of Scripture. Did you know that? Preacher was once railing on the dangers of alcohol amid his sermon on a Sunday morning. And as he went on this extemporaneous rant, um, he said, you know, alcohol is so perilous. If I had all the beer in the world, I would take all of it and I would throw it into the river. A woman in the front row who was known for being fervent in her face, she cried out, Amen! Well, feeling encouraged, he went on, he said, You know, and if I had all the wine from every vineyard ever made, I would take every single bottle and I would pour them into the river too. And a few more, wanting to be known for their piety, they stood up and they joined her. They said, Amen! Well, now you got the preacher going, right? He could feel the energy in the room, so he took one more step. And he said, you know what? If I had all the whiskey and the rum in the world, I would pour every one of those into the river as well. And by now, the snowball effect had kicked in, and the entire congregation in this one resounding voice shouted, Amen! Well, the pastor was quite proud of himself. He took a seat, feeling accomplished. And as he looked out over the crowd with his smug face, the young, rebellious worship leader stood up. And she said, Amen, Amen. For our closing song, turn to him 167, Shall We Gather at the River? <laughs> now see, I feel like when, when we hear that word, Amen, we're all too accustomed to it, right? We know how to use it. We know when we use it, but do we know why we use it? I was watching earlier this week on the news as one of the Republican candidates was sharing his thought in a stump speech and someone went from the crowd shouted that word. Even the secular world uses it at will. In fact, fun trivia, amen is one of the only words that sounds the exact same in nearly every language in history. Did you know that? No translation needed. In English, we know it's amen. In French, it's amen. In German, in Spanish, in Italian, it's amen. In Greek, it's amen. In Arabic, it's amin. In Korean, amen. Japanese, amen. Rodrigo, how about Portuguese? Amen. amen. Well, see, I think I shared with you, right? Years ago, um, Jen and I were standing on the shoreline of Sea of Galilee, and you could hear every tribe and tongue from the world sing an amazing grace. And as we finished our time together, someone then stood up and led us in the Lord's Prayer, and it sounded kind of like garble, right? We were literally speaking the tongue of all of our own nations. But then almost in unison came that word, amen. You could hear it reverberate. From that linguistic dissonance came the resolution that Jesus taught us. You know, the entire world shares that word, but what do we mean by it? Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Genesis 15, verse 6. Otherwise, we'll have it up here on the screens. I want you to see where this word got its roots, where a man got a foothold in the church. In Genesis 15, you might remember God had just made a covenant with Abram. He had come to him in this vision and promised him an offspring more numerous than the stars, right? This is the foundation, the beginnings of our faith. And look at how Abram responded to God's promise. It says, Abram believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. He believed and by his faith he was made righteous in the presence of God. Now here's why I share that with you. In Hebrew, the word believe is actually written amen. Aman. Abram aman the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. 
See, so you might say this, uh, th- this word aman, it, it means to believe in God's promises, right? It was, it was the, 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 the Lord to Abram was his amen. And so when we pray amen, it's not just the bookend of your prayer life. It's a statement of faith. God, I believe you to be entirely who you say you are. I I believe your word to be trustworthy in my life. And as I close this prayer, I put my trust wholeheartedly in you. And yet I said, as I said, you know, we've reduced this phrase to almost like this casual secular agreement, a way of saying, hear, hear. See, but in our prayer life, as Christians, that, that word is worship. Abram believed the Lord And God counted it to him as righteousness. Sinclair Ferguson tells a story of the famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Martin was midway through this powerful sermon before his church. He was talking with the church about this need to be convicted of your sin before the Lord. And one eccentric and gregarious person up front, she was feeling the message and she shouted out, Amen! Well, Martin knew this woman and he was feeling a bit feisty that morning. So right there in front of all the church, he said... That sounded a bit self-righteous, don't you think? See, from that point on, all the amens of the congregation were thought through a little bit more. See, amen, it's not just an agreement. It's about obedience. It's an act of reverence. It's a declaration of, God, I believe in the truths I just prayed about. I know you just heard me. You know, if we did a scan of the Old Testament, you would find... Nearly half of the amens are clustered in the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, nearly every time you come across that word, you find the same kind of pattern, the same context. And what you find in that word is that when amen is spoken, it's hardly ever used in a private manner. Instead, every time you see that word, God's people are gathered and worshiped together. Look at this in Deuteronomy 27. Here's the context. God's just given his people his law. He's now listing out the blessings and curses that come with that law. He says, if you follow me, you'll find blessing. If you turn from your ways, from my ways, you'll find ruin. And look at how Moses leads. Look at this. He says, cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and mother, and the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. And if you're paying attention, you'll ask yourself, who misleads a blind man? No, but if you have the scriptures open and you, you read through that, you'll find over and over and over and over again, I just read you a few, this litany continues. God's word, amen. God's curses, amen. God's blessings, amen. See, and this is an interesting context for us to think about that word. Because God had just laid out before his people the consequences of failing to heed the, the, the law of God. And what is their response? Amen. See, this is a prayer that says, so be it, Lord. You are God. Your word stands. Amen is an expression that says, I agree with you, God. I submit to your word. I ask that you hold me to it. See, it is one thing for someone to say to you, amen to that, in passing conversation. It's one thing for the preacher to ask, can I get an amen? We all know every preacher needs it, particularly to me. 
But it's something entirely different, I think, to hear the congregation in unison pray, Amen. Look at what Martin Luther writes about this. He says, Mark this, that you must always speak Amen firmly. Never doubt that God in His mercy will surely hear you. Never think that you are kneeling or standing alone. Rather, think that the whole of Christendom, all devout Christians, are standing there beside you. And you are standing among them in common, united petition, which God cannot disdain. Do not leave your prayer without having said or thought very well. God has heard my prayer. This I know is a certainty and a truth. That is what amen means. See, it's interesting. The more that you look into this simple word, the more you find just how profound it is. This is not a personal or a private word. It's a corporate word. It's a unifying word. It's meant to be shouted in communion in the sanctuary. In fact, turn with me to Nehemiah if you have your Bibles. Chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8. And I want you to see a different context for this. And you'll remember the book of Nehemiah was written in extremely hard days. God's people had been taken by the Babylonians in their disobedience. They were held captive for years. And they had experienced this unique trauma, right? I mean... Imagine having your language stripped from you, your land taken from you, all of your customs and, and rights removed, and now years ago, by God's grace, this remnant now returns to the holy city of Jerusalem. They're led by Nehemiah, but as they arrive, they find their city destroyed. Just picture that. All the landmarks raised to the ground, rubble, ashes. There's a priest named Ezra. He sees this hopeless scene. And so Ezra got, gathers God's people up at the city gate. And we're told all day long at their request, he begins reading God's word. And as he does this, this revival breaks out. Look at this. Look at how Nehemiah writes this in chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Verse 3, and he read it facing the square before the water gate from early morning to midday. He thought my sermons were long. Early morning to midday in the presence of the men and women and all who could understand and the ears of the people were attentive. Verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people in response to God's word resounded, amen, amen. Lifting their hands, they bowed their heads, worshiped the Lord. See, this word was a corporate practice of God's people. Whether in the temple, in the synagogue, or in their homes, they would shout it in praise for who God is. In fact, one church father wrote all the way back in the fourth century of this very practice. St. Jerome said, when the church in Rome at noonday spoke their amens, you could hear it like a clap of thunder resounding throughout the city. Can you imagine See, don't miss this. Amen is our collective yes. It's so shallow a three-year-old can pray it, and yet it's so deep a seasoned scholar can't fully grasp it. You know, we pray amen, Paul says, because this God whom we pray to has fulfilled every word he has spoken, every promise ever given, and we know that because you and I have met Jesus. You know how much Jesus loved that word? Just humor me for a minute. Jesus used amen all the time. 
But not like you and I. When we say amen, it's the last word that rolls off our tongue, right? We close our prayers with it. We, we close the sermon with it. We close our songs with it. But Jesus, when he used it, he quite literally turns it on its head. And over a dozen times in scripture, where you would see us use it as the last word, Jesus uses it as the first word. And yet, for some reason, our translators have removed it altogether. Look at this from John 3. Let me show you what I mean. Now, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now let's just leave that there. Where do you see the word amen? See, it's hidden by our translation. In the original Greek, in the original Greek, that's how Jesus begins his lesson. It's not truly, truly, or verily, verily. It's amen, amen. Jesus says, amen, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, this word is so profound, Christ tacks it on the beginning of his most important teachings in all of God's word. When he really wants you to listen, when, when he's about to drop a truth bomb for you to absorb in your life, he begins by saying amen, and not just once, but twice. As I said, your version might say verily, verily, or truly, truly, but that doesn't really give it justice. Because this is an exclamation point. It was Jesus telling you, oh, what I'm about to teach is truth. It's going to happen. And if you miss it, you miss everything. Amen, amen. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Earlier this week, we were late getting the kids in bed. And they knew it. And we knew it. You ever had one of those nights? What do kids do in that moment where they, they know that they are late to bed and you are scrambling as fast as you can? What do they do? They pull out every stall tactic they can. Am I right? So after a frustrating 30 minutes, we got the girls to bed. I hit the lights, began to shut the door, and my gut said, why aren't you praying? We always pray before bed. But my watch said it's past bedtime and I've done my time. So I began to pull the handle to the door and my youngest said to me, aren't we going to pray? And I thought, dang it, she's right. I'll let her tell you if that was a stall tactic or not. But as we closed our eyes, I said to her, I'll let you pray this time. And I was dumbfounded by the prayer. It was almost as if she had been listening all day long. She prayed for my parents. She prayed for me and my wife. She prayed for some of you. And when she finished for the first time, possibly ever in my life, I actually prayed that word. Amen. I didn't just say it, right? I, I contemplated what it meant. I, I worshiped through it. It is a breathtaking word by which we worship Almighty God. Look at this Revelation 3. It tells us the word amen is the very name of Jesus Christ. The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. It's not just how the story begins. It's not just where Abram gets his faith. Amen is how the story ends. 
It is the last word in God's word. Look at this in Revelation 22. He who testifies these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. The next time we pray, my prayer is that we wouldn't just pass over that word as though it was the conclusion of our time together, as though the sigh of relief that the sermon's over. But I pray that when we speak that word, we'll speak it to him, that we'll turn that one word into worship, that we'll say through it, God, everything I just gave to you, everything I just prayed to you, I believe in you, so be it, Lord. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Let's practice right now. Pray with me, will you? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said,